and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albajez at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I'm joined by Sherry Shee, the Chief Brand Officer of Diane von Furstenberg. In this episode, we're discussing her career journey in e-commerce, marketing, and fashion, what leadership lessons she's learned from Diane, and what the DVF In Charge campaign really means to her. So Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Marie. Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. So uh, let's jump right into it. I would love to know first what exactly you do at DVF and what kind of your day-to-day looks like. Sure. Um, Well, my name is Sherry Shi, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer for DVF. Uh, I'm in charge of the global e-commerce D2C business that spans across different regions in North America, Europe, uh, UK, and Asia. Um, I've been here for about two years, and we just celebrated one-year anniversary of replatforming to Shopify in May. Uh, so my day-to-day keeps evolving as the business needs grow. Um, when I first started two years ago, there was a, a lot of strategic planning evaluation and tech solutions and finding the right people to build a business. Once the project kicked off, uh, a lot of project management to make sure it stays on track and meet the criteria, you know, critical milestones um, and ultimately long-term time. So the first year, uh, what I called building the airplane while flying mode. Um, yeah, it's a lot of that. Um, and now we finally get to the point that we are happy with the foundation of the business and the customer experience is good. And so we shift um, our gear gear to the growth mode uh, coming this year. Um, So this year we're more growth focused, a lot of customer focused initiatives to improve the customer long-term value, drive down customer acquisition cost. Um, So now I spend a lot more time in interviewing and hiring people, managing the team, coaching and developing talents, talking to other executives in the industry to keep my fingers on the pulse of the latest innovation, um, as well as you know, evaluating different solution providers in various space and working with the team on ideation for growth. Great. Well, that's a lot to unpack. So I want to start with <laughs> when you started. I know you started during the pandemic, right? November of 2020. Right. Um, and I know that you had a lot of kind of high stakes projects going on. You mentioned the replatforming. And so um, yeah. I know I heard you talk at the Women in Retail Leadership Summit about, you know, how you kind of dealt with that high stress. And I'm wondering if you could delve into what those pressures were like and how you dealt with that. Sure. Um, I mean, 2020 was a especially challenging year for many fashion brands, including DVF. When I first joined uh, you know, um, back in 2020, there were a lot of uncertainty with the business. Um, we had to liquidate the excessive stock from the store closure. Um, we lost some key people. The warehouse was having lots of issues with delays, returns, you know, missing packages, uh, which hurt the customer experience. Uh, and then tax system was dated. Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of issues, um, but one thing is clear, uh, we need to transform the business to more D2C focused with um, much you know, reduced retail friend. So growing dvf.com has become the most critical mission um, at the time. Um, and you know, dvf.com was on Salesforce uh, when I joined 
and it was about to expire in six months. So we were faced with the, uh, the decision to staying or changing to Shopify. Um, so we evaluated, uh, evaluated many criteria, including um, you know, total cost of ownership, ease of implementation, the size of the ecosystem, um, and also access to talent. Um, so we made a final decision to re-platform from Salesforce to Shopify. Um, and, uh, and we had four months to go, you know, before we can make it happen. So obviously we couldn't do it all uh, with, you know, amount of time we had. So we had to break down the project into different phases and started with the, you know, MVP, the minimal viable product uh, with a first launch. Um, and uh, just before we launched that just before the contract ends uh, with the core uh, essential, you know, functionality of the site. And they kept building and building and improving the site experience after the site launch. Yeah, it was a super stressful time. And, and I can tell you how many nights I woke up, you know, like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning with a thought, you know, well, you know, God, did we miss anything? You know, I, something wrong. It's just a lot of thoughts going through my mind. Um, but, you know, I'm very proud uh, what the team has accomplished, uh, what looks like an mission impossible at the time. We platformed from Salesforce Shopify, we changed the warehouse. Um, you know, we did all of that, uh, you know, with a deeply committed team. Still can't believe that we pulled it off. Yeah, so I feel, feel great, yeah. How do you deal with the pressure? Um, I mean, one thing that I, you know, really want to share is that, um, you know, like you, you got to realize that we, you cannot do this alone. You know, you have to build the trust with the team and give them the authority uh, to you know make things happen um, and then just hire good people you know have the battle um, and uh, and also find a way to release the pressure you know mentally and physically um, so I meditate um, every day it definitely helps um, and also try to play tennis on weekends all those kind of things yeah you just have to try to find a balance yeah. How, how did you build that trust with the team when you came on in, in 2020, especially when I'm assuming you guys were working remote? Yeah. Yeah, totally. We had, um, like I said, we lost some, you know, people that yeah. was running the Salesforce before. Um, and uh, so we hired a consultant, we had an agency to help us to build, build the business. But, you know, the, the core team actually had to come from, you know, our own people. You know, I think we are, we're really lucky that you know the the team member we have are so motivated and driven, um, and then they're very eager to learn about the new platform. Um, it's just like willing to putting a lot of effort and hours, you know, to to deliver the business. And then the trust is not built, you know, overnight. So I have to, you know, give them some small things just to test the capability. Um, and, um, you know, once they deliver on the small task, gradually, you know, give them a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's how you build trust, uh, little by little. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, we're fortunate that, um, you know, we have, um, we have the team actually delivered on those. So what about when you're, you mentioned that you're hiring a lot right now and, and interviewing people. So what are some of the things that you look for when you're considering those candidates? You know, experience, it's important, but I don't think it's the most important thing or most important criteria I'm looking at. Uh, what I'm looking for, and then the question I ask usually around, you know, show me an example that you demonstrate um, the sense of ownership. For me, ownership is a, is a, 
is a big uh, principle, leadership principle that I put a lot of effort on. You know, like I'm looking for um, people who want to treat a business as if there is their own business. Um, you know, have the initiative um, to to drive things happen. You know, to, to to initiate things. You know, so I think that's probably number one criteria I'm looking for. Uh, so the the passion, enthusiasm, you can you can get a very good feel after you know after the after the interview, and then we have some candidates who have you know great experience working with some big company and big brands, but um, and then once you start to drill deeper into oh you know ex- what exactly did you uh, initiate or, or drive, um, and that it becomes a little um, you know vague, you know. So I would say that's probably the most important, um, you know, quality I'm looking for from a candidate. Yeah. I love, I love what you said about looking for a candidate who really has ownership. I think that goes hand in hand with trust, right? Because once they have that ownership, you can trust them even more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So tell me how you kind of got into the luxury fashion side of retail. I know that you spent a chunk of your career on the e-commerce tech solution side. I know that you were at Amazon for a while. So what made you get into retail and, and specifically luxury fashion? Yeah, I mean, uh, indeed, I spent the earlier part of my career uh, building e-com tech solutions. You know, I was part of a, a founding team in a corporate startup who built a business to help brands expand globally uh, with cross-border solution. So I was in charge of marketing, branding, partnership, and business development. So I got to work with a lot of fashion brands at the time, uh, but mostly B2B. Um, so I was fascinated with, um, you know, retail or the... Uh, the fashion retail for, I guess, for primarily two reasons. One is that you get to work with the customer directly. The feedback was instant. Um, and then you can see the impact of work almost immediately versus B2B, which, you know, is much longer sales cycle. And you get the customer feedback through your clients um, uh, is less direct. Um, but the most important reason is that, you know, I really want to get deeper in running a retail business. Um, and I... I think that if you run a retail business, you pretty much touch every aspect of how commerce works, right? I mean, you buy and sell, so that's art and science. And you need to understand what customer want, you know, from, from your own taste, your intuition, as well as your own data analysis. Uh, so left brain and right brain all have to be there. Um, and you need to manage the supply chain, you know, starting from sourcing, working with the suppliers to logistics operation. And you also need to fully grasp, you know, how to grow business. So marketing, branding, customer engagement, channel expansion, all of that. Yeah. And you also need to know the latest in the technology landscape. You're constantly finding ways to streamline your operation. Um, so if you ever have experience running retail, you're going to have a you know, a great advantage, you know, matter which field you're going to get into. So that's kind of what draws me to this space. I think that's, um, even if you go back to B2B, right, your understanding of the retail business is going to help you um, do a much better job in building the right solution, you know, for the retail. Yeah. And I, I think in the past, when I work in, in, in the B2B space, I always have to kind of assume what the customers are thinking about. And the solution that we talked about, it's really just based on our narrow understanding of their needs, right? But when you come to the other side of the table, you start to realize, hey, when you run a business, there's so many things, so many considerations you have to think about, right? So that 
help me to have a full grasp of you know how commerce is conducted yeah, yeah. it sounds like you really like that kind of challenge as well yeah absolutely and i yeah i love i always love building things i love new challenges um so you can see a kind of my career progression is quite you know uh, it spans across different indus industries um, and uh, I just love, you know, getting to know the ecosystem much better. Um, and uh, yeah, I just embrace that challenge. You you mentioned, uh, I've heard you say that you, uh, prior to being at DBF, you were primarily working with and among men, I imagine in the uh, tech solutions yeah. sphere, yeah. that's a lot of men. So mm -hmm. what, what challenges did you face in that environment? Yeah, it's indeed a quite interesting shift uh, from tech to fashion. Um, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I had many great um, managers uh, who are men. Uh, in fact, a few of my favorite bosses are men. Uh, they helped me to grow and get to where I am today. Um, I still talk about the advice they gave me and share with my team members today. We have a lot, we've seen a lot of progress in the tech industry on diversity inclusion, but it's still very much male dominated. You know, space um, which has a deeper issue with getting more women to study and work in STEM, but that's a topic. Um, but if you want to ask me to focus on the challenges working in a male dominated environment, one thing I can say is that I feel like it's very difficult for me to show my vulnerability because I don't know how it's going to be perceived. Um, I had to appear to be like a tougher, less emotional, fact based versus being you know, empathetic um, and showing more emotion. So maybe it was just in my head and maybe my boss would you know, show the same level of empathy, um, empathy if I indeed shared, but you know, I didn't get a sense that the culture encouraged that. Um, so a DVM is a very unique, unique experience uh, in that it's, it's woman-led and then all top, the top executives are women. Um, so we have this incredible amount of collaboration spirit it's much easier to communicate in so many levels. And the president and CEO of DVF, Gabby, you know, I'm sure you've read her story. So her office is right next door. And it was so easy for me to walk in her office and share my thoughts, bounce off ideas, um, and sometimes have a therapy session on something bothering me. And you ask me how I handle the high stress. Um, and one of the remedies actually is not hold everything to yourself and let a pressure release if you want to vent to someone. You know, so I think I lost temper once uh, in front of Gabby, um, which I could never imagine, you know, doing that in front of my boss, uh, if he's a man. Right. Uh, but I feel much better afterwards. So I, that, I think that's why I, I can't overstate the importance of representation to add women to the top leadership team. And women just about holds about 6% of leadership position in Fortune 500 companies. I mean, that's far too low, right? Um, any, it's just, we have to make sure that, you know, our voice are heard in a decision-making circle and address the issues of pay gaps, um, even growth opportunities and flexible arrangement. All these issues are, you know, really uh, relevant for, for women, um, especially with pandemic, I think it's taking a heavier toll on women in particular, right? Yeah. Expectation on them to the family, you know, increase while demand for work remain the same. And, and I, you have a unique perspective as well as an Asian female leader. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, you know, you talk about vulnerability. I'm sure that you, you know, having experienced that have now instilled that in 
the people that report to you, and I'm sure that they now feel comfortable doing that. So I'm wondering, as an Asian leader yeah. in the retail space, what actions and opportunities do you think that other leaders in retail need to be doing to kind of better support the, the yeah. advancement of not only women, but specifically Asian and Asian American women? That's a great question. Um, and I can recall, you know, one incident um, I, I earlier in my career, um, I, we had uh, we, we had a meeting, um, you know, it's a negotiation negotiation meeting um, with a part, potential partner. I think I appeared to be a little, you know, passionate when I spoke. And then after the meeting, and I remember my male colleague called me, well done, dragon lady. So, I mean, he would have been in trouble in today's environment, but that, you know, that was more than 10 years ago. And, um, but then I also had another instance, you know, you know, same thing. And I probably a little quiet in the meeting and my boss talked to me afterwards. He said, you know, like you have to speak up, you know, like you have to speak up more in the meetings. You can't win. (laughs) Right. When you speak, you know, you raise your voice, you know, be heard. Otherwise you sound like you don't have the confidence. Uh, So he he said, I know that in your culture that, you know, maybe, you know, there's certain expectation, you know, women, and I, I, I want you you know, to be different, you know, it's a different culture. So I feel like, you you know, as an Asian woman, you're always trying to balance, you know, like, and we always tr- struggle to find the perfect scale between aggressive and assertive. Is it too much? You know, should I have to show my emotion more or less? It's just constant battle. And then we have to sort of battle the dual challenge to gender and racial bias. Right? and break through the glass ceiling and bamboo ceiling at the same time uh, is extra challenging. So I think uh, the leaders in retail, I mean, to, uh, to start, right, have to be aware of the exi- existence of these conscious or unconscious bias and take actions to really add more representation of Asian women in the leadership position. Um, and their organization will benefit from this too, right? And Asian women are incredibly hardworking they're intelligent, self-motivated, motivated, and then they have a unique advantage point of cross-cultural understanding, right? So if you think just purely from business perspective, how much you know, your business can benefit and then leverage not only their technical expertise, but also that diverse point of view and wider network to a wider market, right? It's a women's situation if you do that. So um, I would, you know, really encourage the leadership in retail to, you know, add that diversity as, as one of their imperatives. Yeah, that's great. And it, it applies not just to Asian women, but to just yeah. any, any minority women or, you know, within women's organizations as well. Absolutely. So I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of like building that pipeline and advancing uh, women into leadership position. I'm curious how you got from kind of where you were to the C-suite. We have a lot of members who are kind of on their way to the C-suite, but they're not quite there yet. And they're always looking for advice. So do you have any tips for, you know, going close to the C-suite to finally being in there? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I like to say that, you know, to get to the C-suite, you need to be a blue sky thinker uh, with your feet on the ground. Um, so you have to think big, dream big, have a vision, but at the same time, you have to have the skills to execute the ideas you dreamed up, right? So for the women in, in retail in particular, I just want to 
I guess my advice would be to focus on two things. First is, first of all, you have to want it. You have to be able to visualize yourself being in, this, in the C-suite one day. Um, and even if when you're just starting your career, just have a big dream, um, have a good role model you want to emulate. Um, the visualization will be the fuel that motivates you and, you know, and it really never settle. Once you have that visual, then build uh, what I call ownership mentality, right? I keep saying that. Just think as if you are the owner of the business. Uh, your performance review may be based on how well you're doing your job, your current job, but whether you're getting a promotion is entirely based on your potential to grow, right? So you need to think like your boss or even your boss's boss, right? Pay attention to the way of thinking when you are with them um, and how they approach an issue, how they solve the issue, how do they inspire you and your team? What keeps them up at night? Uh, your work should help them sleep better at night. And the more challenges you can take on, the bigger issue you can solve, the easier or the faster you'll get to the top. So I would, I would say that's number one. Number two is really build your core strengths by honing your skills day in and day out. You get to know your business inside and out, mind the details, own KPIs that are part of the business dashboard, like own drivers of business. And I cannot stress that enough that you have to own some important driver for the business, whether you're driving revenue growth or are you responsible for the cost side of things by improving operation efficiency, cutting cost, um, but you got to own a very important KPI, right? Start from owning small KPIs to bigger ones. Your scope should continue to grow. Your responsibility should grow and your team should grow. And you're not going to go to the C-suite overnight, but the little effort that you do day in, day out will have a compounding effect and get you there one day. Yeah, and I love how, you know, I think everyone should should spend some time thinking about what those skills are that they can own so that they yes. can then get to where they need to be. So I love yeah. that. Okay, so Sherry, my last question to you, I know that you report to someone who has really been seen herself as a really powerful leader for women. And I'm curious what leadership lesson you've learned from Diane von Furstenberg herself. Yeah, I mean, Diane has been my idol. I mean, I read her books. I, you know, I love her stories. Uh, and so I'm incredibly lucky to work with someone whom I idolized for so long. Uh, and the first time I saw her, I was just like, you know, starstruck. I can't believe I'm speaking to Diane. Uh, and initially, totally. And then initially, you were just blown away by her larger than life presence, you know, her impact in both fashion and beyond, her philanthropy work celebrity friends, you know, but then gradually uh, you realize that what makes her special is her kindness. She's a very kind person um, and she builds emotional connection with the people around her. Um, and she would walk, you know, to the office and ask people about their life, you know, their relationship, their kids. Um, it's just, um, she has a kind, very kind soul. Um, and as Diane said in her book, um, kindness can never be overrated. It's a way to protect others while protecting yourself along the way. I think um, maybe that's probably the biggest leadership lesson I learned from her is that you have to lead with compassion, um, uh, which really deeply resonated with me. Um, and I talked about the sort of lack of empathy in the male-dominated environment, you know, where, um, where I can, where I saw the opportunity to build a different kinds of culture, you know, with, within DVF. 
um, I use that as a principle, as a leadership principle, is you know, lead with empathy and compassion. Yeah. And I'm sure that just trickles down throughout the entire office and the entire company. Yeah, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sherry. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Marie. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.